Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Troy Bannister. He's the co-founder and CEO of Particle Health. Troy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Particle Health is actually really innovative and cool, besides all the craziness that's that's going on, and we'll dive deeper into that. But maybe before we talk about Particle Health, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Absolutely. Um, so I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, um, right outside of Seattle. Um, cool. went to UW there as well. Um, okay. so did my undergraduate. So I spent a lot of time, um, in the, the general Seattle area. What did, what did you take and why? Um, for school? Yeah. Um, I studied biology, um, okay. with a focus on physiology. Um, kind of interesting story. When I was in high school, my math teacher, um, always told stories about being an EMT okay. and there are these, you know, crazy stories of, you know, this, that, and the other. And I got really interested in it. And when I got to, to undergrad, um, I found an EMT program in, in the area and decided to enroll. Um, I was not interested in medicine at all. I just thought being an EMT would be an interesting job. Um, and so I uh, ended up taking a full-time position over that summer as an EMT and got really interested in medicine, um, which caused me to switch majors from business to biology. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so walk us through the rest of your school journey and then into your career. Um, yeah, so like I said, I got really interested in, in medicine, um, and it caused me to get um, on the, the pre-med track at undergrad. So I, I did the whole pre-med thing, um, took the MCATs, um, ended up getting into this program um, at Georgetown, um, which is technically you know your first year of medical school with the, the option to continued into medical school or transfer into a different master's program. And when I did the program, I, I honestly really hated it. <laughs> I saw myself being a, a somewhat unhappy physician um, and an unhappy physician is probably not a good one. Um, so I, I ended up um, taking the master's program into um, the biophysics track and graduated with a master's in biophysics. Interesting. Okay. So Walk us through your career up until Particle Health, or, or at least some highlights along the way. Yeah. Um, so my first job out of, of graduate school um, was actually at a restaurant <laughs> serving. Okay, sure. um, a, quick for, a quick foray. Um, wonderful time in my life, I'll tell you that. Um, and then um, after that, I actually moved to New York from D.C. And... Um, had no job, had no plan, no apartment. I just had my two best friends that lived here. And um, at that time, that was, you know, the priority. Very cool. 
<laughs> and uh, so I packed up a truck, moved to New York um, and looked for a job. And um, because of my background, I was able to get a job at Mount Sinai doing clinical research. Right. Um, cool. I had done, a, I'd done a little clinical research in undergrad. So um, I knew kind of what I was doing and uh, took that job um, pretty quickly, did it for a couple of years. Um, it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but it had me in the hospital, you know, working with technology and working in medicine, which made me happy. Um, but while I was there, they were just launching uh, what they're calling their digital health innovation track. Okay. And they were doing these really simple things like sending text message reminders to take medicine at the right time. And they were showing huge value in such simple technology. And it got me really interested in how technology played into healthcare. Um, so I quit that job and, and joined uh, Startup Health here in New York, which is an accelerator and venture capital firm. Um, and it got me working one-on-one with entrepreneurs. Very cool. Okay. So walk us through how you came up with the idea of Particle Health and what exactly is it? Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, that whole story I just told you about EMT to yeah. med school to clinical research to entrepreneurs. Um, the one thing that was just painfully obvious throughout every job I had in healthcare was that nobody had access to medical information. Um, totally. Didn't matter if you were a researcher, a doctor, or a patient. You know, <laughs> the best way to do it is by fax machine t- today, right? Which is um, crazy. It's, just, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's still about, I think, I think it's somewhere around 70% of medical data is still exchanged by fax today. Um, that blows my mind. So. It's, it's horrible. Um, so <laughs> that was the problem that I was interested in, because if you could solve that problem, um, you solve problems for entrepreneurs, doctors, patients, insurance companies, clinical researchers, um, everybody wins that, that solution. Um, so it was such a big core problem to healthcare that I had seen over and over again. Um, I got, you know, kind of obsessed with that issue. Um, so that was kind of the, the first ingredient. The second ingredient was there are these new rules being talked about from the government, um, specifically from the ONC. Um, the two big rules that they were talking about that I was interested in, one is called TESCA, okay. which, is called, which stands for the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. And it basically lays out a plan to create a network across the United States. Um, so a mesh, if you will. So I got really interested in that. And then the second one was called anti-information blocking. And just like it sounds, um, it basically says, you're not allowed to block information from being shared for pretty much any reason. And before that rule, uh, that actually passed in just March, just recently in March, um, these stakeholders, you know, whether it was a hospital or an EMR could basically say, no, we don't want to share data just because we, and that was causing a lot of, of, of barriers to share information. Um, So that was kind of the big second ingredient. And then the third one was I was watching companies like Plaid, um, in the finance space or Twilio or Stripe, right. um, build these, these API models that were super um, interesting at their, in the, the, the way that they operated. Um, and um, I thought that, you know, those three ingredients, the, that problem, um, the new rules and regulations and these new models that were, you know, proving themselves over and over again in different industries could be a really interesting thing. No, that that's actually quite, quite fascinating. So, what made you actually decide to make the leap and build this thing? <laughs> and how did you build the first version? Did you self-fund? Did you bootstrap? Did you raise a little yeah. bit of capital? Like walk us through that. Oh man, these were interesting times in my life. Um, so I quit my <laughs> job without a plan. Okay. I, I didn't know, I didn't know I wanted to start, I wanted to start this company, um, but I had to run my course at my previous 
job and I was ready to, to leave. Okay. And I, I just decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> so I, I ballsy. stopped working there. <laughs> it, it was incredibly ballsy. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was ignorant or ballsy, but it was one of those two things. Um, so there was a good month where I was, you know, in my apartment pacing back and forth, you know, in my head, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> okay. Um, Interesting. And, you know, I was applying to some jobs and I wasn't super excited about any of them. And I was still playing around with this idea. And so I started to put a little bit more time into it. And, you know, I'd go to the coffee shop down the street and, you know, start doing some research, call some people. Um, I started to formulate somewhat of a plan um, about what this thing would actually look like. Um, and around that time, I, I started reaching out to um, technical people, you know, developers, engineers, um, sure. and uh, found my co-founder actually through AngelList. Um, oh, very cool. At the time, right? Um, I don't think you hear a lot of successful stories for founders meeting on AngelList, but he was full-time at Google. He was a senior software engineer making a killing. Okay. And sure. I, ended up, I ended up bugging him and going <laughs> to meet him for lunch every week for like two or three months. <laughs> and every time I'd come back, I'd be like, okay, I, I think I figured this part out and I think maybe this would work. And he, you know, he'd sit there eating his burger or whatever and be like, okay, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. <laughs> and very skeptical. Um, but I just kept plugging away um, and kept going for it. And eventually I, I convinced him to leave his incredibly high paying job for zero salary. Um, and, and Particle actually started to kick some shape after that. Interesting. So you were both, you basically self-funded this at the beginning, right? I, I know you guys re recently raised a round and we'll get there, but... Um, Walk us through how long it took you to actually get a version one where you had actual users using Particle Health. No, oh, I, I hate this. It took years. <laughs> okay, okay. It literally took years. Um, so the first thing that happened that was kind of a big win was we got accepted to the Texas Medical Center Accelerator Program. Very cool. Which is, it's a well-regarded program. They're down in Houston. Um, they're basically owned by all the hospitals down there. Um, oh, interesting. There's a bunch of hospitals. There's there's Houston Methodist and University of Texas and um, I think yeah, is it Cedar Sinai um, is down there. Yeah. So you know some really top quality hospitals. And we got down there with you know barely a, an idea. And what they allowed us to do was just pressure test our theories with experts over and over again every day. So you know we would meet with doctors and we would meet with administrators and we would meet with um, you know some of the IT people. Um, from all the different hospitals and organizations around the hospitals. And by the end of the three months that I was down there, and <laughs> I'll tell you, this is actually kind of a funny story. I, I was ended up renting an Airbnb, and I <laughs> had this little <laughs> tiny apartment with this, this undergraduate student <laughs> That's awesome. that I was living with <laughs> for like three months just to save you know, money because we had no money. Um, uh, but by the end of the three months, we, we actually had some cohesive idea of what we were doing and, and some good leads on partners. Um, but it took us another year to a year and a half to actually get the contract signed, do the integrations with all the, the data holders and the EMRs, um, and then stand up an API that, that customers could use. Wow. Very cool. So how did you pay your bills and survive for this period of time? Um, I, I didn't. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I ate a lot of ramen. Sure. Um and, uh, you know, we, we got a, a seed round together last June. Okay. So it was about a year, a year and a half, um, just living off, um, of our own salaries, basically. Um, uh, when I say salaries, I mean savings, For sure, sure. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> uh, so it was about a year and a half of that. Um, and, you know, I was also doing some odd jobs. I was um, doing some contract work for some um, some development studios that would were doing projects. I was getting paid a little bit. Um, I helped my friends with stuff too. You know, I was like, I was like a photo assistant on like for like a magazine for like a couple gotcha. of weeks. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta holding do. Holding lights but up. Yeah. Most people I was doing won't tell you do. that though, right? When they're building a startup, like a lot of people, like what you're talking about is very, very common. Like almost yeah, nine yeah. out of 10 is, is this is how people do this stuff. Well, you know, looking back on it, I, I think of it fondly because it was pretty fun, you know, yeah. coming together with a big idea and then also just like doing whatever I wanted to do. There wasn't a lot of pressure and accountability other than, you know, moving the idea to something more tangible sure. um, at, at, a, at an appropriate pace. Of course, it was scary because, you know, I had I didn't have a safety net, but um, it was it was really fun. It was probably one of my favorite you know, eras of, of building particle. Very cool. OK, so. Let's dive into Particle, and, and what exactly is it today? Yeah. So <clears throat> the way we think about the entire ecosystem that we live in is there are data holders. So these are organizations that, that hold on to information. And the big ones are the EMRs, so Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, Athena Health, these big groups. Right. Um, and then there's a lot of other ones. There's labs, there's claims data, there's IoT data, there's provider directories. Um, you know, there's tons of other information um, that these, these organizations hold on to. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's data seekers. These are organizations that need data to make decisions. So an insurance company needs to see your clinical information to process a claim. They need to make sure that you're really there and the doctor treated you and they're in the network and you really got that cast, you know, on your broken arm right. um, that they're going to pay for. <clears throat> so, um, you know, there's also more of the treatment oriented data seekers. So there's maybe like uh, a diabetes um, management software, like, you know, an Amato Health or a Lavongo, and they might want to see your labs. Do your A1C tests go up and down? Are you taking met your metformin? Are you picking it up at the lab or at the, the pharmacy? Um, so there's a spectrum out and in the industry, there's not an easy way for these groups, for these data seekers to get connected to these data holders. In fact, a lot of the data holders have made it purposely very difficult for them to get access to it right. because they want to build their own solutions and they don't want other third parties to, to kind of leverage the value in the data. And so what, what we try to do is sit in the middle and we connect to the data holders. We have partnership agreements with them. Um, and then we sell that, those services, that API to the data seekers that need to access that information to, to make that, to create value for patients and, and policyholders. Um, so what we've built is a giant network interconnected, you know, system that, ingest patient demographics. So your name, your date of birth, your address, your phone number, things like that. And then we actually have a search algorithm that searches across the United States, finds all your records at all the different data holder um, locations, and then pulls that data back for the data seeker to use um, with your permission, of course. Sure. I interesting. So how did you make some of these relationships? Because I've done stuff in the medical space and it is probably one of the biggest nightmares I've ever experienced is just trying yeah. to to actually get something happening or connect with the right person or get them to make a decision in a short period of time. And a short period of time can be like two years. <laughs> like how yeah. did you bridge that gap? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're not the first group to try to do this. Um, okay. I think the one, one of my, the, uh, 
I guess in my memory, one of the first groups to try was Microsoft. Sure. Um, they created Microsoft Health Vault. Yeah. And that was back in the 2000s, I think. Um, they shut it down just a couple months ago, uh, took it off the website. But what's really interesting is the government has been making big pushes to open this data sharing up. Okay. And I talked about it a little bit earlier, Tesca and information blocking are these two rules that have passed into um, federal mandated laws that say these data seekers and these patients that are using these tools have to have access to this data now. Right. It's not fair for them not to, not to have access anymore. Um, so these rules have really opened up the playbook on how to do this. Um, I think we're the first group out there to um, actually have contracts and integrations and stand a product up. Um, so we're, we're really, I think the first proof point that this is possible, um, it's always really funny. I get on the phone with customers and, you know, they'll be like, this is not possible. And then we show them a demo and they're like, I cannot believe you're doing this right now. It's, yeah. you know, I've been in healthcare for 20 years and this is the first time I've ever seen anyone do this. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, times are changing. No, that, that's, that's really great to hear because yeah, well, you, you know, the struggle, right. And anybody else out there knows the struggle in healthcare. So that's cool yeah. that you guys have you've finally you know broken through and and are getting these uh, deals in place and and yeah it's great that the government stepped in and and basically made this law, um, but do you want to give us some examples or some use cases of how people can use particle health? I know you kind of gave a, a general overview, but I, I want to dive a bit deeper into that. Yeah, so I think the most straightforward use case is. Um, let, let's say you have a, um, you're, you're sick or you have a, a rash. Um, okay. let, let's go, with, let's go with a rash because okay. rashes are fun to talk about. Um, <laughs> you have a rash. So you, you, you download an app or you go to a, a telemedicine service through your insurance company, whatever, whatever you use. Um, and you, you say, I want to talk to a doctor on, on a tele telemedicine service today. You would download that app and you'd have to fill out a bunch of forms and you'd have to say, Hey, I have a rash. Um, then you'd wait a little bit and you get on the phone with the doctor and the doctor would ask you a bunch of questions. And at the end of it, hopefully they figure out what that rash is and, and um, can, can help. Um, in, in a world in the future where Particle is powering a telemedicine service, you would download that app. It would say, hey, do you mind sharing your medical history with the doctor you're about to see? You'd say, no, that's cool with me. I, I consent. Um, the doctor would then get a parsed uh, piece of information from your medical records that say, you know, this person has an allergy to these medications and they've had a rash 15 years ago and you'd get on the call with the doctor and they'd say, okay, I pretty much know what this is. And it looks like you had a rash 15 years ago. Do you remember that? And you'd say, yo, oh my gosh, I forgot I had that rash, you know, and, and they'd say, it looks like you were prescribed this drug, um, this cream you know, 15 years ago. Um, do, should we re-prescribe that, that, that cream? Did it work for you? Yeah, it worked and it would be done. Um, so really what we're doing in, in this use case is, we're accelerating the whole process. You don't have to be filling all these forms out every single time. We're hyper-personalizing the care because the doctor has a full profile on your health. And we're also leveraging the, all the data we've collected on, on an individual in the past to make a better, more accurate um, you know, prognosis and, and plan for the person. Uh, you know, rash is a really simple one, but when you start thinking about diabetes and cancer yeah. and these other um, you know, more complex disease states, this is where it gets really important to have all this information. Um, and it can make a huge difference um, when you're really scaling a technology solution to to move healthcare kind of to the next level. No, they, that's very cool. So I, I'm I'm curious to know: Are you guys doing anything in 
kind of the AI space or, or have plans on doing it in the future where you could not diagnose something, but you could basically say based on this, who this person is and their data, they could have potentially these issues down the line or like almost like prompt the doctor was saying, we have all this data and we're aggregating it and we're using, you know, machine learning and, and everything to, to give almost like a better and the most amount of information about potential things that could happen to a person are like, are we even there yet? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so what we want to focus on is being behind the scenes and giving the tools for developers okay. to use. Okay. So kind of going back, what we want to do is, is give developers the tools they need to create new, new innovative solutions. So okay. we, we are cleaning the data and transforming the data and parsing the data. So, so it's really usable for developers. So they don't have to know about healthcare data. It, it could be a developer from the fintech space trying to build a new app. Um, and we want to also give them all the tools to build a solution. So integration tools, um, SDKs, pieces of code, so they can just plop it right in their, their, you know, their app or whatever they're using. Um, and we want to, you know, we're, we're talking with a few AI companies right now that want to create these types of things or are creating these types of things today. But our job is really to get them access and then give them everything they need to build that. Um, cool. We're not in the business of, of building solutions. We're in the build, business of building um, a platform for people to build solutions. No, that, that's very cool. And that, that's kind of why I asked the question is just for clarification out there um, for, for people listening. So how do you guys then basically merge all that data together? Because if you're pulling yeah. data from a ton of different systems, obviously it's in different formats potentially. Nothing probably lines up and matches. Uh, like that in itself has got to be a nightmare. So how do you guys mash that all together? That's very technical, you know, mashing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it is a mash, I'll tell you. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I don't have a ton of technical chops, but I do work on this with the team a lot. Um, you're absolutely right. When we pull a record on somebody, it comes from, you know, 10 different places. And I'll, I promise you, every record is a different format and standard. Sure. Um, there's no cohesiveness across the United States healthcare system when it comes to, to data standards. Um, the good thing is everybody is moving towards FHIR, um, which is FHIR, Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. Okay. So there is this emerging standard um, in the healthcare space today. Um, so what we do is we pull these records in and we, we merge them together. We are starting to de-dupe duplicates. Right. You might get the same data, uh, you know, line from multiple places. Sure. Um, so we're de-duping and then we're, we're converting it to fire standards. And <clears throat> fire standards are really nice for developers because they're resource specific. So when you're building your solution, you might say, I just want allergies to go here, medications to go over there. Um, I want to, you know, analyze the blood pressure from the last 10 years, you can build those, those tools on top of fire very easily. Um, so we're, we're making it again, very easy for developers to just start focusing on a product and not focus on data or integrations or, or getting access. Interesting. So I want to dive a bit deeper into some of the APIs that you guys offer or that you have in beta, because they're actually really quite innovative. Yeah, so the ones we have listed, um, there's treatment, payment, uh, slash operations, and, and then the consumer um, individual access version. Um, treatment is where we live today. Um, 
mostly because we want to share records with providers first. It's, it's kind of the most simple use case, and it, it's just it's highly effective. Right. Um, we're starting to move into the payer space. So, um, you know, one really good example is insurance companies today um, have to do this, this thing called risk adjustment. And what they do is they look at their entire population of lives that they cover, and they need to see, are people getting healthier in this category or getting worse in this other category? Um, are we seeing more folks with diabetes? If we are, what can we implement that will de decrease the risk of our population, keep them the healthier? Um, and the way they do that today is by fax machine. They wow. fax millions and millions and millions of records every year. Which and is it completely takes insecure super, too. super long. It, it's not the best. <laughs> um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of problems. I mean, you also have to manually, like with your eyeballs, look at that stuff and, and enter data into a computer. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's a total mess. Um, and so we're, we're starting to do some interesting stuff around this, these chase lists of millions of records where we could probably do it in a few days um, as opposed to, you know, months. Um, plus, you're getting, you know, machine readable data back, not just pieces of paper. Um, and then the third big space is this consumer space that we're really um, trying to drive towards. Um, I think this is the most interesting one. Okay. Um, because it has these very unique problems. Um, so let's say, you know, Bob Smith downloads an app from the app store. Yeah. How can we get Bob Smith's records securely into that app? Um, the first problem is how do we know Bob Smith's really Bob Smith? Right. Um, what if he's lying? What if he says I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger and pulls Arnold Schwarzenegger's app, you know, all his data into the app and then he puts it online. Um, that'd be very bad for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sure. So that's, that's problem number one is, is this identity problem. How do we make sure that they are who they say they are? Um, the second problem is if we do know Bob Smith is really the same Bob Smith that we're talking about, how do we find that Bob Smith records at the hospital, not a different Bob Smith? Right. Um, how do we match that, that identity to the accurate record, um, which is a big challenge right now? Um, and then the third piece is, can we all agree as a, as a country or as a healthcare system what data Bob Smith's allowed to see and what he should not be seeing. Um, if we pulled back a positive HIV test um, and, and just sent that directly to Bob Smith, that'd probably be pretty bad. Um, we'd, we'd want a doctor at least to, to deliver that news and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's a care plan. Don't worry. Um, you know, we, we, people have this much, you know, the prognosis is good. Um, if we're just sending raw information directly back to patients, um, it could be pretty bad. Um, and then kind of the, the subset of that one is how do we know this person isn't going to share data um, related to family members that might indicate their health? Um, so maybe it says on the record history of cancer in the family. Um, if that got out, um, would the family be OK with that being you know, distributed among the, uh, uh, an application or a business or something? Right. Um, so there's some inherent issues that um, a lot of people are working on, and it's actually getting pretty close to being solved right now. Um, it's going to take a little bit, but we're super interested and optimistic in that. No, that that's actually really interesting because part of me too, like just on the consumer side is I would love to have the most amount of data about my health and also be able to share that with, you know, uh, my wife and my parents and, and then potentially yeah. pull in their data as well. So, you know, if, some some one of them gets really ill and they can't even talk at some point like I have their data like and that's been approved by them obviously that I have access to right. it that I could just hand the doctor my phone and say well like here's everything to know about like my parents right or, or whatever which is really interesting but there's a whole bunch of problems and permissions and uh, like 
you're right, like what gets shared and updated and as people age or get better or worse in, in health, like how does that data get updated or, or what gets updated and synced across all the different devices and who you're sharing to, right? It's extremely complicated. Totally. Interesting. Yeah, it's our, our kind of, you know, thing we always talk about is healthcare interoperability in, in the U.S., you know, specifically is moving from a data standard problem, which is getting pretty solved to a data permissioning problem. Right. Um, it's it's going to be, that's going to be the next great barrier is how do we know who's permissioned what and how does that work on a national scale? So that's what we spend a lot of time thinking about. No, that, that makes total sense. So since all the like Corona and, and do you think that people are going to be more open to sharing their personal data or less open, or do you think a certain percentage or, or what are your thoughts around how you think people will come out of this? And, and are, do you think people are going to be willing to give up some of their privacy for the greater good of kind of society because of Corona? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think before Corona people wanted to share their healthcare data more and better. Okay. Fair. <laughs> um, I, I think we're, we're at, we're at such a low bar before, uh, with, you know, I mean, I couldn't even get access to my own data and I, yeah. you know, I've, I've been trying to do it and it's, it's not easy. <laughs> I don't, sure. I don't know where all my records are and I have to send faxes and it's just absolutely nuts. So I think that there's before Corona, there's already a big push from people to be able to share their data better. Um, now in a post Corona world, I think that the organizations that have traditionally been um, resistant to opening up data sharing standards have, have, move to the other side okay. um, and are now okay with it at least. Um, you know, Epic, the biggest EMR system in the U.S. and I think internationally, um, was maybe the one stakeholder that was fighting really hard against these anti-information blocking rules. Um, and, you know, they had a valid concern about privacy. Um, sure. I, I understood that. But um, since Corona, they've taken the other position. Um, they've joined the side of let's share more and let's share better. Um, so they, they've, you know, if anyone is an indicator of um, opposition to sharing more and better, it's, it's epic. And, and seeing them now jump to the other side has been really, I think, a, a game changer. Interesting. Well, and I also think, too, just having my medical records on my phone if I'm traveling even, right, it is super mm -hmm. useful, right? And then... Yeah, like just simple use cases is when and I, I think more and more people are going to be really conscious of who's sick around me going forward. Right. Or even as something yeah, as simple right. as like the flu that goes around a few times a year. Right. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how all this stuff plays out. But I'm, I'm curious to know. And this is maybe a weird question for you guys, but how do hmm. you guys decide what features to actually add to the platform and your APIs? Because you probably get some pretty wild, interesting requests sometimes, but sometimes they're simple to implement, sometimes they're challenging, sometimes they're somewhere in the middle, and, and sometimes they just don't make sense for your platform. So how do you decide what to, where to take the platform based on customer feedback or your own internal roadmap? Yeah, so we look a lot at the stripes and the plaids and the twilios and the aws's okay. um you know the paypals right they all have these core api 
infrastructures that between all of them have a core common, you know, value proposition right. um, and, and feature set. And it really gets just to the bottom of um, how fast can a developer go from signing the contract to creating value. That's okay. the hardest part. Sure. Um, and so anything that supports that vision, and you know, I always say our North Star is that one entrepreneur in the garage that has a brilliant idea for a healthcare app, but no time and money to do the integrations and deal with the data. Um, so if we can cater that one person and we can get that single engineer up and running on the API, just focusing on building a brilliant product, then we've done our job. Um, so anything that, that helps and supports that vision is what we're focused on. No, that's, that's very cool, actually. Um, and, and like, that's a really interesting approach because you're right. People could build this stuff themselves, but it's a, it's a nightmare and it would take them a ton of time. Hence why you guys built the business around it. Right. Interesting. It's, it's just like AWS, you know, like yeah. you could probably go find a server and rent it and build the tech stack to use the server. Um, yep. Or you could click a couple buttons and have AWS up and running. Yeah. Um, same thing. It's just how quickly can we get somebody up and running and building something new and innovative? Sure. So I'm curious to get your thoughts and advice on, because you clearly were in the trenches for a number of years before, you know, you guys actually had a kind of version one and you had users. How did you keep the motivation going to keep, to not quit? Because that's really hard, especially in challenging times. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder after the, the med school stint. Okay. <laughs> you know, that was like my life. I was so hyper obsessed with becoming a doctor um, for so many years. And I put so much time and effort into it. Um, and then I got there and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> and I, I, walk, I walked away thinking like, you know, I, I had a chip in my shoulder. I was just, I was almost angry. Um, and the way I, you know, decided to spend my time was focusing on the problems in the healthcare space that were maybe bigger, um, that would have made my time as a doctor, or maybe it would have made me happy to be a doctor. Um, I'm not really sure, but all I really know is I walked away from that with a foul taste in my mouth and it really pushed me to, um, find something that would, that would send shockwaves to the health system in a good way. Interesting. No, that, that's actually really good advice. I, I'm curious, do you have any other advice for entrepreneurs that are either looking to get into the healthcare space or, or other verticals that you've kind of learned along the way that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, I'd say a couple things. Um, number one, do it the right way. I think healthcare specifically, um, there's, it's really easy to cut corners and, you know, do something um, e a little bit easier, whether it's a feature, you know, a feature or a partnership or, you know, um, wh whatever it is, it's really easy to say, let's just do it this way. It's easier. I think with healthcare, you have to take every step and do it the right way. And it's harder and it costs more money and it takes more time, but it's at the end of the day, you look back and because you've done it right, you know, you're a strong, stable company uh, because of it. Um, I think number two is healthcare takes longer and is hard, a little bit harder and I think more dry than a lot of other, other industries. Um, and so the thing I always preach to my, my team is, you know, make sure we're doing this in a fun and sustainable way. Don't work too hard, take time off, um, you know, make sure you're doing things at work that you like doing and not the things you don't like doing. Because this is a long road and, you know, people burn out and they start produce, stop producing as well. 
um, because they start to get a little sour about it. So if you can create a system of work that is a little bit slower and a little bit more pleasurable and enjoyable, um, then you're going to be more successful. Um, it's not about sprinting in healthcare at all. It's, it's about doing it the right way and, and making it an enjoyable experience. Interesting. That's actually really good advice. But how do you convince your employees that you actually buy into that and you're willing to have that open conversation with them if they can walk into your office and basically say, you know, I've been doing this for two years now and I really want to try X or whatever that is. Like, how do you actually instill that in your culture and allow people to have those conversations with yourself or, or management to let them pursue something different inside your company instead of moving on? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things that we just have in our DNA. Um, okay. One good example is the way that we hire. One of the, the top priorities of, of the next hire is finding somebody to do the things we don't like doing. So, you know, we've done this thing before we, we all get in a room and we write out some of the like, you know, top responsibilities and, and tasks that we're responsible for. Right. And then we circle the ones we just don't like, okay. you know, I don't like, you know, I don't like, uh, you know, operations and managing a project board sure. and, you know, you know, the COO doesn't like, uh, you know, answering all these emails about this particular topic. And then once we have all those things circled, we start to say, okay, what kind of a role would do a, a good, good chunk of these things? And then we find somebody that loves to do those things. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, we have people doing things they love to do. Um, you know, there, there's just things that you can kind of instill into the DNA of the company that, that start to mold your company towards that kind of mentality. No, that's, that's actually really good advice. So you guys recently raised a, a bunch of money. Congrats on that, by the way. Do you want to walk us through any advice or tips or, or how you actually raise some money because that in itself is really challenging and, and potentially even in the healthcare space with even with all the stuff that's going on around. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird time. Um, I think healthcare is probably the most protected industry right now, um, just given where value lies. Um, that is the nature of healthcare through a lot of recessions. Um, but, um, I, you know, <laughs> It's, it's a tough thing to raise money. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort. I, I think the biggest pieces of advice I can give, and I, I used to hear this all the time as advice, and I didn't really know how to implement it. I think it just, it actually is really, I think, a difficult thing to do and a very easy thing to say, but you have to have a big picture. You have to, you know, your idea has to be giant yeah. um, for investors to be interested. Um, and you can do market scoping and TAMs and all these fun things, but there really, it really has to be above anything else, a really, a big story. Um, how, how are you going to change something fundamental and, and big? Um, and why is this the right time to do it? Um, we got lucky with legislation and policy and we got um, lucky with a, a lot of other, you know, competitor things that put us in a really strong position, um, even through all this COVID stuff. Um, but the core thing that we've always had is this really large story. Um, look at Plaid, look at Stripe, look at Twilio. Um, yeah. We're doing that in healthcare and we have regulation and policy backing us up and we have some data to prove it and some early adopters and we're doing transactions and you know our customers didn't think this was possible and now we're doing it and we're the first to do it. Those types of things are what get interest from investors. No, interesting. The other thing that you mentioned a few times in that statement that I really liked is luck. Mm. A lot of people don't yeah. say, 
how lucky sometimes they just get, right? And there is absolutely oh. nothing wrong with it. And in a lot of cases, I call it like you need to create your own luck, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't pretend that we're not lucky. <laughs> we're, we're very lucky. Um, you know, I, I, I've been talking about these new rules and conditions for years because they've been talked about, you know, on the government side for a long time. I didn't know when they were going to hit or if they were going to hit. And, you know, again, we got lucky that they hit a couple months ago. Sure. Um, it just puts us in a really strong position. Um, you know, I think what, what is it? Luck is preparation times um, opportunity or, you know, you know, you have to have opportunity come across, but you also have to be prepared for it when it does. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been mo monitoring the, the legislation for years. We were very well versed in it. We went down to D.C. all the time and, and got educated on it um, pretty in depth. And then when it when it started to get you know close to passing, um, we jumped on it and we we had already been building a solution that was in line with it. Um, so that luck was a bunch of preparation and a, a lucky opportunity that crossed past us. A hundred percent. And it's interesting. I'm glad you said that because I've had a few people on the show in the last few weeks that have said similar things. And I want to reiterate it because I think it's so important for people listening is it's like, to your point, it's like you need a big picture, but you also need to see where things are going. Sure. It might be two years, three years, five years out. Hopefully it's not that long. But if you're building a business for where your industry is going and you can see it going there because you and you can validate that hypothesis, in your case, it was, well, the government's already talking about this. It's just a matter of time before this hits right. or I guess worst case, it doesn't. But it's looking like this is where it's going. So you need to be going there, right? Instead of trying to fix what's happening today or yesterday, you need to be fixing the future. I know that's kind of a weird way to say it, but like you, you obviously agree with that, right? Oh, totally. I mean, there's, it, it doesn't have to be regulation and policy or anything that big either. Like uh, look at Venmo. Um, Venmo was like, you know, plaid just popped up and now we can transfer money between banks on the consumer level. Sure. That was there. And I, I bet they didn't just pop up as soon as plaid did. They'd probably been thinking about it for a long time and sure. been exploring different avenues and been watching plaid and they, uh, they monopolize or not monopolize. Well, yeah, they didn't monopolize, but they capitalized on that opportunity as, as Plaid created it. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like a big government thing. It's, there's so many small little changes happening all the time that open up opportunities. No, it, it's interesting because I had Plaid, uh, William, on, on the show, the, the founder of uh, Plaid. is actually quite interesting because the similarities and they just got bought for – 5.3 billion dollars yeah something like that yeah. like yeah. so like obviously they got really lucky and they like hit it out of the park home run but i'm telling you like they saw that vision and they worked towards that and sure they got bought for multiple billions of dollars but like even if you build something and you get acquired for tens of millions of dollars or even just like single digit millions of dollars like that's it's really hard to do but that's the stuff you need to think about to actually try to get there or get acquired, right? Yeah. One of the I, things, I, I, think I that's guess. The, it, I, it's the core. It's the foundation of building a business. It's how do you build something unique? And the only way to do something unique is capitalize on a new opportunity. Sure. Um, or otherwise, you're just doing incremental fixes on things, which are really hard to win a category in. No, I 100% I agree with you. It's actually really quite interesting. So... I'm curious, 
I want to spend a couple minutes and I don't want to go too technical, but obviously a lot of your stuff is built for developers. Do you want to talk about how developers can actually get access and and start playing with uh, particle? Yeah. um, We're trying to make it easy. So you go on our website, you log in and um, you can get a key to a sandbox and the sandbox is just already up and running, you just put in, you know, fake patient names that we have a list of, and you can query for for fake patient records that we have in a database. So you can start building on our sandbox today. Um, And then once you have a product or an MVP or whatever, um, you basically request a a product ready API key. Um, We hop on a call with you and make sure that, you know, everything is legit um, from a HIPAA standpoint. And then you're off to the races. Um, it's, It's pretty much that easy. Uh, the API is pretty ugly right now. I'll be totally honest. Um, we're building out a full-on customer portal right now and developer portal um, that it will be nice and branded. But you know, it, it works. And that's the, the really cool thing is I think a lot of people get um, you know kind of blown away because you go in there, you type in a person's demographics, and then you get all their medical records back in seconds. Yeah, that's cool. it's from across the country. Um, it, it's a pretty wild thing. It's um, you know, it, it can be pretty powerful. No, that that's that's really great, man. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, ParticleHealth.com. Um, and, it, you know, I always hop on the phone with people, um, even if it's an entrepreneur with an idea. I talked to a few today um, because these are the people we really want to solve problems for. And hopping on calls with them is my favorite thing to do, listening to new ideas. Um, so yeah, go on there, hop on, um, submit a form or shoot us an email. Um, and we'll have somebody on the call. Oh, that's very cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Likewise. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.